Section 21 of The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Kaylee Monahan. The Rose-Colored World and Other Fantasies by Ethel Mary Brody. Faith, Chapter 3. Restaurant life in a big city is a busy one. The only monotony lies in the regular customers, who appear every day in the 365 days of the year and an extra day in leap year. But there are ever new faces coming. Strangers from foreign lands, native tourists, and the miscellaneous drop-ins, who drop in and out of any good restaurant they happen to be near at mealtime. There are restaurants and restaurants in New York. Some are for entertainment and amusement, aglow with lights and palms, where music and songs soothe the wearied senses of the sipper of straws as he leans over his tall glass or wreathes his head in the pale smoke of a cigar. There are restaurants for shoppers, redolent of beefsteak, sour vinegar, and the frying pan, noisy with the ceaseless clatter of dishes and the chatter of many tongues and twanging with the scrapings and discords of a would-be orchestra. There are restaurants for cheapness, where bread and beef are served in layers, as bricks are laid on a wall, simple and wholesome, but rather hard of digestion. And there is the restaurant where afternoon tea is daintily enjoyed, where quiet is possible from the thronged and shouting streets, where the talk is refined and the tea choice. Then there are many other restaurants, some for specialties, some for meeting places, some for high prices, and others for the man with a spare dime. And best of all, there is the restaurant where a solid, round meal can be got for a square price, and such was the Boniface restaurant. The Boniface was neither expensive nor cheap, but the meals were excellent and reasonable. It was not an elaborately decorated restaurant, but it was not plain. And best of all, it was clean and well-kept, and good for a half-hour's rest. The walls were papered in dark green. Mirrors paneled here and there above a leather dado reflected the groups of electric lights and brightened the general effect. A weathered oak buffet in one corner glittered with an array of variously colored liquor glasses. On a balcony opposite and surrounded with palms and ferns, an orchestra of mediocre ability discoursed the whims of the hour, whether classical or otherwise, three times a day. A row of pillars in the center of the room added a touch of dignity to the restaurant, despite the fact that they were painted to represent white marble and imposed politely on country customers. It was Easter time. New York was filled with visitors and violets. The flowing feathers and gay flowers of the hopeful Easter hat darted along with every carriage. The world of woman was absorbed in its gayest Easter attire. The shops were like hen roosts, with eggs of all sizes and colors. On all the favorite promenades, crowds of people were passing to and fro, and the sidewalks were aglow with all the hues of the rainbow, revealed in spring suits. At the corners of the streets, boys and men sold roses of every shade, lilies of the valley, daffodils, narcissus, tulips, freesias, and violets. And the vivid, fresh green grass of Central Park seemed all the more vivid for the lack of foliage on the trees and bushes. The Boniface restaurant was doing an excellent business. Crowds of customers were pouring in. The waitresses were as busy as bees in a hive. 
The orchestra was excelling itself in variations on old airs and in the chances of an up-to-date de temps. It had just dipped into the latest comic opera when a gentleman entered the restaurant. No one noticed him. All the tables were filled, and everyone in a hurry, rushing orders and trays. Several persons arose from Faith Winston's table. The manager, noticing them, touched the gentleman on the arm and led him to her table. Faith was busying herself, changing the cloth, laying down spoons, forks, and knives, folding a table napkin, and setting a glass of iced water on the table. She had just laid the decanter down when she observed the gentleman start as he hung his hat and coat on some brass pegs by a mirror. She lifted her head. His back was toward her, but he was staring amazedly into the mirror at her reflection, just behind his. Faith saw and laid the decanter down with a crash that would have drawn a shoal of eyes in her direction had not the orchestra reached the last chorus in the comic opera it was playing. And the chatter of a hundred customers or more dulled the sound of the glass. The man turned around and faced her, a look of passionate admiration burning in his brown eyes. Faith Winston steadied herself by the table and answered his expression with one of icy coldness. He bent his brows, then smiled in recognition. So, this is where Madame has hidden herself, he exclaimed politely. Hidden herself? Do you call this hiding? And she glanced around the crowded room carelessly as she nervously fingered the pencil and pad. Oh, but you are wise, madame. Tis well to hide where people least expect to find you, he remarked, seating himself at the table. I am not hiding. Haven't you found me here and now, Mr. Gaspard? She asked indifferently, handing him the bill of fare. That is today. What of yesterday? He queried with a half-sneer. Your questions are not courtesies, said Faith icily. Nor are the answers kind. And Pierre Gaspard cast a glance over the bill of fare. Could you not sit down with me, he continued, and let someone else serve and wait upon me? He did not lift his eyes from the card, but Faith felt the satire and dug her nails into her palms, answering quietly the while. It is against the rules. The rules of etiquette, came his sarcastic query. What will you have? demanded Faith in a low tone, ignoring his question. Give me your order, please. The manager is watching us. And does the manager of this restaurant rule your life? Faith made no answer. Ah, well, here is my order. And he took the pad from her and wrote it down himself. I shall drink to your happiness if you will bring me some wine. And he pointed to an expensive wine on the list. Faith hurried away. Her nerves had received a severe shock. Her cheeks were flushed, as they rarely were, and her eyes sparkled with resentment and defiance. She ran into the cloakroom and sat down in a chair, swaying herself to and fro and clinching and unclinching her hands to gain control over herself. When she had quieted, she got up and returned with the first part of Pierre's order. She set it down before him, arranged the dishes, and left him. Betty was standing near the table, so Pierre Gaspard dared not address her again as he had done. When she brought in his last course, Betty was serving at another table, and as Faith filled his glass with more iced water, he took a hold of her wrist when no one was observing. Lison Faith, is that your name here? I want to see you. I must see you. Meet me tonight at Raymond's restaurant, seven o'clock sharp. I cannot, gasped she. 
You must, or the manager will know the reason why. And he darted a cruel glance at her. Pity me, she whispered. Mr. Gaspard, I am Pierre, he interrupted with a smile, half pleading, half satirical. Pierre, pity me. Leave me in peace in this place. This peace, the only peace I have known for years. Go your way, Pierre, and let me go mine. Never. Now that I have found you, I will keep you. Losers seekers, finders keepers. You shall not escape me. And he arose and slipped on his coat and hat. Easily, carelessly, and smilingly. Poor Faith. Her eyelids drooped till her eyes closed, for the room seemed to be rocking under her feet and whirling in the maddest maze. Are you ill, Miss Winston? Betty was at her elbow, and Pierre was gone. Yes, I feel very ill. I must go home. Home. And at the word, she shuddered. May I go with you? I might be able to help you. I would so like to help you, said Betty gently. No, no thanks, Betty. I shall be all right tomorrow. It is very kind of you, but I am better alone. And Faith made an excuse to the manager and left, looking more pale than usual and very tired. Betty looked after her in wonderment and pity as the door of the restaurant Boniface closed behind her slender figure and sad face. What a strange, weird world we live in, she thought. People and things are all kinds of dreams and mysteries. One never knows just how things are going to happen, or what will happen next, or anything. It's a good thing we don't live in this world forever. End of section 21. This recording is by Kaylee Monahan.